Welcome to Wildwood College Life of Wildwood Community Church in Norman, Oklahoma. We are four following Jesus together to the glory of God. We meet on Sunday mornings at 945 for Bible teaching, breakfast, and fellowship, and would love to see you there this week. Follow us on Instagram at Wildwood College for more information. And with that, let's dive into this week's message. Well, it's good to be back, guys. It's good to be back. Good to see you guys. If uh, you guys don't know who I am, my name is Kevin Choate. I'm the college pastor, and I'm just so glad we're here this morning eating breakfast together, diving into the Word. Um, This morning, we are going to be wrapping up our identity series. We're calling it, Who Am I in Christ? And basically, we're talking about the fundamental change that happens whenever we trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sin. Something radical happens, right? Something totally Uh, life-changing happens when we trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sin. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 5. Okay, that's where we're going to be this morning. 1 Corinthians 5 is going to be our main text. Um, But before we really get into it, I just kind of want to do a quick review of what we've talked about so far. Uh, In our first week of this series, sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, the first week of the series, Christian Shanae talked about how we are God's temple, how every believer, whenever they trust in Christ, make him the Lord of their life, they receive the Holy Spirit as, uh, and they indwell every believer. Also, last week, Mike, he talked about how we are also God's stewards, that everything we have, ownership is a myth, right? That we are just managers. We are stewards of everything God has given us. This includes our bodies. This includes our personality. This includes our gifts, our abilities, our talents. Everything is intended for the purpose of bringing God glory. And this week we're going to be talking about how our identity changes as a Christian uh, in, in our direction or our calling. And that's that we become ambassadors or representatives of Christ. Now before I get started, I wanted to throw up this picture here. A few years ago, if you guys remember a little musical called Hamilton, do we have any Hamilton fan, fans in here? Anyone actually like that? Okay, I've realized that it's like uncool to like Hamilton now. Is that true? It feels that way. Uh, but anyway, Hamilton hit the, hit the scene a few years ago. And I remember, you know, there was a time when everybody was singing it. Everyone was like all about it. It was kind of cringy at times. It was a weird time. It was a good time, but it was weird. Uh, And when the original cast show came on Disney Plus, I remember me and my wife, Carly, we were so excited to watch the original cast. We had seen uh, kind of an offshoot in Oklahoma City, but we were so excited to see the original cast on Disney Plus. But one of the things that stuck out to me was there were actors that played two different roles. This is David Diggs. He played Lafayette in the first act, and he played Thomas Jefferson in the second act. And there were other actors like Anthony Ramos, he played John Lawrence, and then he played, I think, Alexander Jr. or something in the second act, right? There were multiple actors who had one role in the first act and a second role in the final act. And there were these same people that played multiple parts. And the show was a lot of fun, but something that was so striking to me was how easy it seemed for these actors to switch from one role to the next. They lived two different lives, in the matter of three short hours. I wonder if this seems so easy to me because we each do the same thing in our everyday lives. See, today, though we may not publicly say it, we live a variety of lives. 
On Sunday, we act a certain way, we talk a certain way, we dress a certain way. But if you look at us the night before, we talk a different way, we act a different way, we dress a different way. This could be the case in the classroom, this could be the case around family, this could be the case around certain group of friends. We all have a similar problem where we compartmentalize our lives. This is Sunday, Kevin. This is Saturday night, Kevin. This is weekday, Kevin. This is weeknight, Kevin. But the encouraging thing is it doesn't have to be this way. My hope is that whenever we look at what an identity rooted in Christ does, it changes every area of our lives. And after looking at this passage, I'm really excited because I think we will see that every part of our life matters. Every single part of our life matters because God has chosen us to represent his heavenly interests. And because God has saved us to a mission, because he saved us to a mission, not just left us in the saved state, but he saved us to something, we should represent his loving character, his loving interests, and his loving message to all people at all times. And we'll see the main idea today that Christ's love Christ's love compels, uh, expresses itself through his ambassadors, okay? Christ's love expresses itself through his ambassadors. And guess what? If you're a Christian, that's you, okay? So Christ's love expresses itself through us. And it's gonna, we're going to see that through three points, okay? The first is this. The love of Christ determines our decisions. Number two, the love of Christ alters our identity, and lastly, the love of Christ creates our calling. So we read about how Christ's love expresses itself through his ambassadors in 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. And if you've been attending our regular worship services, uh, this book might sound a little familiar. And it's because we've been going through 2 Corinthians as a church family. Um, and at this point in his letter in the church, Paul has dealt with God's comfort and suffering. He's dealt with personal criticism. He's dealt with the ministry of the new covenant, perseverance in ministry, and the role of faith. And now he transitions to the calling of every Christian. Have you guys ever asked the question, what is God's will for my life? Have you ever asked that? Like, man, what, is, what does God want to do with me? Well, guys, I'm going to give you some clarity this morning. He has called you to be an ambassador. That is the clear calling, the clear identity that he lays out for every single Christian. He's going to discuss how being an ambassador affects our decisions, our identity, and our calling. So let's read it together. This is going to be verses 11 through 21. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not committing ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. So not about what is in, sorry, excuse me. We are not committing ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. 
And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that as we go through this passage that we would be changed, Lord, that your word would change our hearts, that we wouldn't be stuck in our old set of ways, but Lord, that you would show us how we might be ambassadors in every area of our lives. Lord, reveal to us in our heart who is someone that needs to hear this message of reconciliation. Lord, show us how we might take the message today that you've given us in your words and apply it to our lives. Let us not stay where we were before we walked into these doors this morning. Lord, change our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so what I'm going to do is we're going to go by section by section and make a few observations, okay? So the first observation from verses 11 through 15 is that the love of Christ determines our decisions. Okay, so let's walk through verses 11 through 15 for a second. Verse 11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. So the thing that strikes me is the fear of the Lord here. So Paul says a therefore. Does anyone know what you do when you, say, when you see the word therefore? You ask the question, what is the therefore therefore? Okay, that's what we do. So he's referencing verse 10. If you want to look back in your Bible, you'll see, see that he's talking about how every person is going to be judged one day. He's talking about the judgment seat of Christ, okay, and how Christ is going to be coming back and judging everyone, okay? And so when he's talking about this, he knows that this life matters, and he knows that it matters because one day everyone will be judged by Christ when he returns. And guys, there's going to be two kinds of people on that day. Those who will be judged according to their actions and those who have trusted in Christ and will be judged according to Christ's righteousness. Those who have rejected God and those who have trusted in Christ. One will be judged according to their own actions and the other will be judged according to Christ's righteousness. See, for those who are not in Christ, the judgment seat is going to be a very terrifying place. It's going to be a very terrifying place. And so what does this do for Paul? What does it do? He says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Knowing that people are rejecting the truth, it should motivate us. Just like it motivates Paul to share this message, share the saving message of Christ's saving work on the cross. And finally, he ends his thought by saying, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. This is really important for Paul. And he ends this thought by basically explaining that his motives for sharing this message to the Corinthians 
is pure. And that's what he kind of talks about again in verses 12 through 13, is that we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. See, Paul is doing this self-commendation, right? He's saying you can trust us, but his critics would kind of have a response to that. And so he says, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. See, at this point in the letter, this is 2 Corinthians. Paul had a track record with the Corinthians. And a theme in this letter, what we see time and time again, is Paul referencing critics of his ministry. And in verse 12, what he's doing is he's reminding his allies and those that support him how they might justify what Paul has been doing. See, Paul's critics cared more about outward appearance. This would make sense for the Jew, right? See, but what Paul wanted to emphasize was the heart. It wasn't outward appearance or outward qualifications that qualified him, but it was the clear conscience that God was guiding his ministry. See, he knows that his critics thinks he's crazy, right? He references that in verse 13. Paul was not traditional. He did not keep in line with the old guard of Judaism. He spoke in tongues. He had visions. So, of course, people thought he was crazy. But he wants something very clear in this section to be known. He wants us to know, he wants the readers to know that his decisions are from a pure motive. He is in his right mind, okay? He is authentic in his ministry to those in Corinth. He's not serving himself. He is serving God. You can understand why Paul might want to indicate this. You know, fantastic things are happening to the church in Corinth. Life change is happening in the church of Corinth. We might be like Paul, where we don't, whenever we're doing ministry, it could be easy for people to think that, wow, Kevin is amazing. He's doing some awesome things. Or, wow, Kate is amazing. She's doing some awesome things. Or, Riley's doing amazing things. But what Paul wants us to see is that it's not about pointing to ourselves, but it's about pointing to God. And whenever we're doing ministry, whenever we're doing anything, we want to make sure that we're pointing to God. We want to make sure that we're pointing to Him and not ourselves. It's not about us. Now, finally, in verse 14 through 15, we see how his decisions are determined by Christ's love. Verse 14, he says, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Paul is justifying his ministry to the Corinthians for these last few verses, but now he wants to emphasize what was guiding every single one of his steps. It was Christ's love that controlled him. And I love that phrasing, that Christ's love controlled him. Because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, Paul could have no other logical conclusion about his life. His life was devoted to Christ. His decisions were a response to what Christ had done for him on the cross. Now, do we see this idea that our decisions are determined by what Christ's love has done for us? 
in other parts of Scripture? Or does faith usually just end there? Like once you believe, that's all you got to do. Once you say the prayer, that's all you got to do. Is that what Scripture teaches? That once you profess Christ, that you have basically signed an insurance agreement that you don't have to go to hell. Is that what Scripture teaches? I don't think so, because Jesus doesn't really say that. To Peter, uh, in John chapter 21, you don't have to turn for it, it's going to be on the screen. But he says in John chapter 21, verse 15, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. In the closing verse of chapter 20, the chapter taken right, right before this, the Gospel of John says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John chapter 21, the way it kind of functions in the Gospel of John, is kind of this practical epilogue. It's basically answering the question, I'm saved now what? Okay, and so we have this epilogue taking place in chapter 21, answering the question, I'm, I've been saved, now what? And in verses 15 through 17 of John chapter 21, we have a beautiful picture of the restoration of Peter. Peter, who denied Christ three times, is now restored by Christ by asking, do you love me? By the Savior of the world, how many times? Three times is a beautiful picture of complete restoration or reconciliation. And it shows that love is revealed through action. Love is revealed through action. If you truly love Christ, then your actions will show it. If you truly are controlled by Christ's love, it will affect how you make decisions, right? See, in this beautiful picture of Peter being restored after his failure in ministry, his love for the Lord is actualized by feeding his sheep or caring for Christ's disciples. Jesus doesn't just say, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. Then Jesus is like, okay, good. But he says, show me. Show me that you love me. Feed my sheep. Care about what I care about. See, Christ's love for us leads us to making him the Lord of our life. For the Christian, our decisions are determined because we are not the king of our life. We are not the ones in control. We have proclaimed our need for a Savior. And in that spirit of humility, we put Christ above us. And we say, Lord, lead my life. Show me how to live. For the Christian, we are no longer the king of our life, but Christ is our king. See, many of us think that we are pretty devoted. Many of us think that Jesus is the Lord of our life most of the time. But Jesus as Lord is not something that can be part-time. There's this great quote in uh, Vance Harver. He says, a wife who is 85% faithful to her husband is not faithful at all. 
There is no such thing as part-time loyalty to Jesus Christ. Like Peter of Peter and Paul, the love of Christ should control us. It is the only logical response for the person who has trusted in Christ. It is the only logical response to the one who died for our sin. So I want you to talk at your tables and consider, are you 85% faithful? Are you 50% faithful? What is your devotion to the Lord? I want you to talk at your tables for about 10 minutes, and then we'll resume the second half. Okay. Hope you had some good table discussion. All right. Who wants to share the, their YTT, your table translation? Anybody want to volunteer? Yeah, over here. Yeah. Alex, I saw you raise your hand. Yeah, there you go. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, Alex. You guys speak in the mic. Okay. So Christ died for us so we don't live for ourselves. He paid for the cost. He paid the cost of our sins for us so we don't live for ourselves, but we don't live for him. It's like Galatians 2.20. Okay. Okay, that's good. That's good. Okay, let me make sure this is on. All right, it's, it's on. Check, 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 check. All right, anybody else? Who wants to do a table? Anybody? Okay, your table. <laughs> Here, let me give you this one. You're good. And from that, um, we have died to self when we start believing in him. And so from that, like all of our decisions are made not for our own self anymore because that's completely gone. So now we're just following him. Oh, that was good. Good job. Hey, give those tables a round of applause. That was good. That was good. Awesome. I'm so proud of you guys. Stepping out of your comfort zone, given your YTT, your table translation. So let's continue. Okay, let's continue. Okay, so let's go to verse 16. And we're going to talk about my second point today. Okay, so not only does the love of Christ determine our decision, but it also alters our identity. Okay, so Paul's going to basically say why our decisions change so much. And it's because our identity has changed. Okay, and he answers the question why our decisions are determined by Christ's love in verse 16. He says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Notice in the previous section, right, that they were, his critics were looking at the outward appearance. But he says, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So before Christ, this is what happened. Jews judged people according to their ethnicity. It was simple. Are you a Jew or not? To receive many of the blessings of the Old Covenant, you had to be Jewish. However, from now on, Paul is saying that he is not referring to people or referencing people according to their ethnicity or the outward appearance or according to the flesh, but instead he's viewing people from a spiritual rather than fleshly perspective. Are you a believer or not? 
So he makes a similar realization for how he viewed Christ. Notice that even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we no longer do so. Paul no longer looks at Christ the way he did before. If you know the story of Paul, he was a Jew who persecuted Christians. He killed people. He thought believing in this man was foolish, right? Nathaniel, he says, does anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus was from Nazareth. Does anything good come out of Nazareth? He was from a poor town. Jesus was rejected. Why would, why would people believe in someone who was rejected? He recognizes that we can't view things the way in we, which we used to. Why? Verse 17, he explains it. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Guys, this is a glorious revelation. When you read this verse, I hope that your heart starts beating a little fast. I hope that your, your hands start getting a little sweaty because you realize that this is a game changer. That if you really are a new creation, then you're totally, totally, completely different than what you once were. Your heart is different. Your motives are different. What you care about is different, right? When we talk about this, this, this is the good news that we are not our old selves. What Paul is saying is the promise being fulfilled. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is the result of our salvation. What happens when we're saved? We are given a new identity. That's what this series is all about, that when we trust in Christ, we are different. Our identity is changed. We are a new creation. That means our nature changes. Where we once were slaves to sin, now we are slaves to righteousness. Where we once craved sin and relished in it, now we are convicted of it and we repent from sin. Where once we were dead in our transgressions, now we are alive to Christ. This is essentially what we call regeneration. Being given a new heart, a regenerated heart. This is what J.I. Packer talks about this phenomenon. He says the new birth or regeneration is an inner recreating of fallen human nature by the Holy Spirit. This is a spiritual act, okay? It changes our disposition from lawless, godless, self-seeking into one of trust and love, of repentance for past rebelliousness and unbelief, and loving compliance with God's law. It enlightens the blinded man mind to discern spiritual realities and liberates and energizes the enslaved will for free obedience to God. I want you to think for a moment. Have you, re have you received this new heart? Are you still in the lawless, godless, self-seeking? Or have you tr been transformed into loving compliance with God's law? See, when God saves us, He doesn't just renovate us. He transforms us. He recreates us. The reality is that before we are given a new heart, we do not love the things that God loves. We love our sin. Before we're changed by God into something else entirely, we can't help but sin. It's tied to our nature. C.S. Lewis, he helps us understand this renovation project. 
And he shows us that it isn't just a mere adjustment or repair, but an overhaul of ourselves. If you would, just listen for a moment. He says this, I think that many of us, when Christ has enabled us to overcome one or two sins that were an obvious nuisance, we're inclined to feel that we, did not, we, could, we do not put it into words that we're now good enough. He's done all we wanted him to, and we should be obliged if, if he would actually leave us alone. But the question is not what we intended ourselves to be, but what he intended us to be when he made us. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and he's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were gonna be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace and he intends to come and live in it himself. He is turning us into a palace, a place that is totally different from what we thought. See, God has totally changed us from a little cottage to a palace. Friends, we're a new creation, not a renovated creation. Something entirely different. Only once we are given a new heart, we are then able to see things the way that Christ sees them. See, we are so markedly different from our former lives. Jesus tells Nicodemus this, that he must be born again. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. We are not a renovated person. We are a new person. When we say someone is a born again Christian, we're not trying to say that they're fanatical or they're obsessed. But what we're trying to say is that they're totally different that they have received resurrection life in their heart. They are a new person. Okay, so to summarize these past few verses, Paul is writing to help the church see that our status has changed. We are no longer who we once were. The love of Christ alters our identity. The love of Christ, it determines our decision, it alters our identity, but it also does something really cool. It creates our calling. It gives us a mission. It shows us what our life is. Is supposed to be like. My final point today is that the love of Christ creates our calling. So we'll read in verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Okay, so I hope you guys have been paying attention today. Every single point has had a subject. What has the subject been? Do you guys know? Come on. The love of Christ, okay? Every single thing that we've talked about has been fueled by the love of Christ. Here is what the love of Christ is. That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message 
of reconciliation. See, reconciliation is this idea of being restored to divine favor. All the things that we are talking about today are possible because of Christ's intercession in our life. Christ breaking through and saving us. The Holy Spirit changing fundamentally our hearts. All of this is only possible as a response to the love of Christ. See, when Paul is using the word reconciliation, he is talking about this idea, being restored to divine favor. What we know about our nature is that we are all sinners. The book of Romans, it tells us that because of our sin, what we have earned is separation from God. Because God is holy, our sin, it creates in us, us to be unholy, right? And so that causes a separation between God and man. So that's the bad news, right? But the good news is that Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has restored us to divine favor. How is this possible? How did Christ reconcile man to God? Well, what happened is that Jesus Christ lived a perfect, perfect life so that when he died on the cross, he was a perfect sacrifice. And what we call is the great exchange or the imputation of sin and the imputation of righteousness and where Christ's righteousness was credited to our account and our sin was credited to Christ's account so that he paid for our sin on the cross and he reconciled through that sacrifice us to God so that anyone who would believe in him, they would be restored back to divine favor. They would be restored back to a relationship with God. And it is only through Christ Jesus. That's what verse 19 is talking about. The only reason that we might not have our trespasses counted against us is because Christ already paid for them. This is the ministry of reconciliation, the gospel the good news is that we have a Savior who paid for our sins. Paul is talking about how this resurrection that Christ would one day, you know, after three days of di after dying on the cross, he would be resurrected. And it would be a picture. It would be the first fruits of our resurrection. That's what Paul is talking about, that we are a new creation, right? So what has to happen? The old self has to die, and the new self is resurrected to new life. The ministry of reconciliation is a picture of what happened on the cross and what happened in the resurrection. We are resurrected to new spiritual life. And once we are saved, he doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't just say, okay, now you're good. But he actually gives our life a purpose. And what is that purpose? It is to be his representative everywhere we go at all times, to be his ambassador. That's what verse 20 says. Therefore, because of this ministry of reconciliation, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That verse 21 is talking about that great exchange, right? See, the purpose that God gives us is that we get to represent Christ and his resurrection power everywhere we go. Our motivations should be different. Our actions and words should be different. Jesus has not only just given us a new heart, but he has given our life a direction and a purpose. 
He says this to his disciples after he's been resurrected. Verse 21 of John chapter 20. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Knowing that he won't be there much longer, he commissions his disciples, his representatives, his ambassadors on earth, just as God sent Jesus to be his representative. So I want you guys to realize that our lives matter. They matter because God and his divine sovereignty has chosen each believer to be the mediator of this message of reconciliation. Jesus has now entrusted every Christian with this ministry, that through our lives, through our actions, through our words, everything, we would represent Christ. We would care about what he cares about. We would speak in the way that he would speak. We are often the only opportunity our friends may have in interacting with the gospel, with Jesus. So our words matter. The way we treat others matters. We get to be an ambassador because our citizenship is not here, but it is secured in heaven. See, as ambassadors, we represent the ministry of reconciliation by our words. You should share this message. It is a verbal message. Like Shanae said, you can't, you can't do lifestyle evangelism by our actions. We validate the message of reconciliation. If our actions don't line up with our message, then we're not really credible witnesses, right? And then by our lives. Over time, we should be able to show people how different we were, how different we've changed. That over time, the slow process of sanctification that we can say, look how Christ has changed me. By ambassadors, this is how we represent the ministry of reconciliation. So, we shouldn't compartmentalize our, ugh, excuse me, we shouldn't compartmentalize our lives. Everywhere we go, we should be the same. We should always, every single day, every single moment, realize that we have been entrusted to be ambassadors for Christ. We don't need to act one way, one hour, and one way the next. But instead, we need to live in the reality that every part of our lives matter because God has chosen us to represent his heavenly interests. Today, we saw how Christ's love expresses itself through his ambassadors, that the love of Christ determines our decisions, the love of Christ alters our identity, and the love of Christ creates our calling. And because God has saved us to that mission, we should represent his loving character, his loving interests, and his loving message to all people at all times.